Hey everyone, my name is Sean White and thank you so much for joining me for this new podcast that I'm kicking off with called Think Again About God. I'm going to be, um, hopefully weekly, I will be sharing some uh, some topics that have been on my heart for a number of years now, um, just about the the character and the nature of who God is because I believe that the most important thing about your life is the way that you see and understand God. I uh, I read a book by A.W. Tozer a number of years ago called The Knowledge of the Holy. And he wrote that uh, the most important thing about a person is not what he at a given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. And I really took that to heart and I based my entire thesis for my master's degree off of this, which was called Think Again About God. That was back in 2012. And uh, it's it's really all about biblical repentance. Um, and I think, I guess for some biblical, you know, biblical repentance, that sounds weird. Um, uh, repentance for many people has like a real negative idea behind it of like a priest whipping himself on the back, telling God that he's so sorry because he's such a sinner, right? Um uh, but that's actually not what what repentance is about at all. The word repentance comes from this Greek word metanoia, which means to change what you think, or to change what you know, or to think again. And Jesus, he began his ministry by preaching, repent, for the kingdom of God is near, or it's at hand. Uh, he was basically just saying, let's have a paradigm shift. Let's change how we think about things. And we'll get into that more in depth as this podcast moves forward over um, the next however long this goes for, but um, and I'll and I'll be I'll be reading some of some real pivotal scriptures for myself. But in in Romans twelve verse two, it says, "Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind." The way you think matters. The way you believe and um, the ideas that you hold about life because they, they matter. You are a reflection of your perception. But it's not just any perception. <laughs> I think that the, 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 the most important thing, the, the greatest perception or reality that you, that you think about is that, sh- that frames your reality and frames who you are is your understanding and view of God. Who is he? What's he like? Romans 2 verse 4 says it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. So even simply changing the way that we think about him, it starts with recognizing his goodness. And recognizing his goodness, that's we're transformed by renewing our minds in, in the goodness of God. And as a pastor, I've just seen time and time again, when people leave religion and they leave um, legalism, and they really get to know the character and the heart of God and his goodness and his love towards them. It's amazing how that changes people, how it affects their lives, how it breaks wrong patterns. And so that's why it says in the writer of the Hebrews says, in, or I'm sorry, it's in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so your mind is renewed, though, first and foremost, when we get a hold of God's goodness. And, and a bit, very, really pivotal scripture verse for, for me 
and for um, uh, the ministry that we have here at the church is uh, comes from Matthew 16, starting at verse 13. And I'll read this. It says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Okay, so, I mean, here's Jesus, and he, and he comes up with this, this question for them. Who do you say that I am? And I you know I think that I think deep down it's a question that we all should be able to answer. And I know Paul writes we only see in part, we only see as through a glass dimly. There's only so much of God that we can really grasp in this age that we're in right now. Um, but who is God to you? What is what is Jesus like? And, and Simon Peter he nails it. He says, "You're the Christ. You're the Son of the Living God." And and. Uh, and so Jesus turns to Peter and he says, you are blessed for knowing this, Peter. And on, on this rock, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build my church. Now, a lot of people think that it was on Peter that Jesus was going to build his church because he says, I, and I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church. And so they, they believe that Peter was the first pope and, and that Jesus was going to build his whole ministry on, on Peter, which you see you know, somewhat at Pentecost, but... Uh, but the context, we always have to leave things in context. Pastor Joseph Prince says, you know, when you take, when you take text out of context, you're just left with a con and that does no one any good. Um, and, and so the context was the question, who do you say that I am? Peter gets it right. And he says, on this rock, I'm building my church. And I, I just believe that Jesus is building his church on the revelation of who Jesus is. Knowing Jesus is the most important thing for any individual. Philippians 3, 7 through 8, Paul writes, you know, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. This is, this was what Peter, Peter's whole world was completely changed. His mind was completely renewed and trans, his life was transformed through the renewing of his mind simply by getting a hold of the goodness of God. And it's on this rock, it's on the revelation of who Jesus is that Jesus is building his church, which now begs the question, who is Jesus? And what's he like? I mean, who is he to you? I mean, because I think for a lot of people, they have this idea of Jesus as like this guy who sits on a throne and he's like ready to throw lightning bolts at you the moment that you mess up, right? And so there's a lot of fear. I think there's a lot of fear in religion in general. So, and you know, I tell this to the church all the time. It's just like, who is God to you? Is it, is it Allah? Is it Buddha? Is it Krishna? Who Who is it? Is it Yahweh? Is it Jesus? Like, and then if it is Jesus, then how do you see him? Or, or is there no God at all? Because the way that you see and understand God is the framework through which you will interpret this life. And, you know, I think that there, and what, what I, I think that there are a lot of wrong concepts about God that are taught and sung in churches today. And I, I, I spend a lot of time teaching and preaching around the character and the nature of God. And 
please, not that I have all the answers. I'll be the first to tell you that. We only see in part. We only see it through a glass dimly. No one has all the right answers. But I just see so much fruit in in people's lives when they really come to know the goodness and the love of God. And this is what he's building his church around. But when when wrong concepts of God are taught in church, or we sing about wrong concepts of God, and through this podcast, I'll be bringing those up, and I'm going to challenge your theology, I will. When wrong concepts of God are taught or sung in churches, it's going to produce either rebels, rebel sons and daughters, or it's going to produce religious sons and daughters. And I think Luke 15, which one is like a favorite story of mine, it's the story of the prodigal son. I, I think this really kind of shares the essence of this idea, or this concept. Because, I mean, I don't know who titled it the story of the prodigal son. It should not be entitled the, the story of the prodigal son because there are two sons. But really the story is about the loving father. And we always place the emphasis on the younger son, but... There is an older son as well, and he has some serious, serious issues that we have to look at. And you know what? When you, when you look at this story, you see that both sons have the same exact problem. You know what the problem is? They have no idea who their father is. Remember, you're a reflection of your perception of how you see God. And so um, – the younger son says to his dad, Dad, give me my share of the inheritance that's coming to me. Which is basically to say, because his dad's like, you know, he's not on his deathbed or anything like that. He's basically to say, Dad, I don't care about you. And I think that's the way a lot of people think about God. Like God's just like he's aloof and he's somewhere else in a, in a galaxy far, far away. And he doesn't really care. And when we have this view or this understanding of God that God doesn't care, well, then we don't care. And so he has this understanding of, of the father, like the father doesn't care, so peace out, dad. Give me my share of the inheritance, and I'm out of here. And he's gone. And, you know, we know the story, if you don't know the story, he squanders his, his, uh, all of his inheritance, and he ends up longing to be fed with the pigs he are eating at this, at this, farmer, at this farmer's uh, place because he had hired himself out to this farmer. And then... <laughs> And then he, and then he just like he says that he comes to his senses, and, and I think for many of us, God's just waiting for us to come to our senses. And he says, you know, the the, the servants in my father's household have it way better than I have right now. I'm going to go back to my father. I'm going to say to him, you know, I've sinned before heaven, and before earth. I'm no longer to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants, right? And then he starts his journey home. He stinks. He's he's a mess. He's um, been eating with pigs, or at least desiring to be eating what pigs are eating. You know, like, if you're desiring to eat pig food, you have hit rock bottom, okay? Some people do. Some people really do need to hit rock bottom in order to learn the lessons they need to learn. But he returns, and he, he kind of rehearses this thing. I've sinned before heaven, before earth. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And it says that when the, when the father saw him a long way off, which means the father was looking for him, when the father sees him a long way off, he starts running. And now in that society, you don't run, okay? To run was basically to like dishonor yourself because it means that your household is out of order. So here we have this picture of the father just simply not caring whatsoever about what other people may think, and he's running to his boy. 
Now, this boy has a wrong understanding of, of, of his father, so he just thinks maybe he'll care enough about me to, uh, to hire me as one of his hired servants. Remember, he left because he didn't think the father cared, so, well, he didn't care because you're a reflection of the way you see God. And so, and so he, he, he gets to his dad and his dad comes up to him and he thinks he's going to like, you know, fall on his knees and, and, you know, the way we understand repent, repent, right? And the dad tackles him. I mean, the language really suggests that the father actually tackles his boy. And so <laughs> the son, the son starts saying, you know, father, I've sinned before heaven, before earth. I'm no longer to be worthy to be called your son. He didn't, he can't even finish it. Like he can't even finish the line, which was, which would be treat me as one of your hired servants. It's like, not even like the dad's paying attention. He just interrupts his boy and tells the servants, get the best robe, right? Get the best robe and bring it. Now the best robe of the household was was the family robe. It's not like something that you you know, open up from Bed Bath and Beyond or something. Okay, this is this is the family robe, and they bring the, they bring the robe, and this robe it symbolized the honor of the father and the whole family. And he takes his boy and he wraps him in his robe because love. What it does is it covers a multitude of sin. And he puts a ring on his finger, sonship, shoes on his feet, and he says, kill the fatty calf because my boy's home and we're going to party. And he basically, he basically blows this younger son's idea of the father out of the water. Right? Because the son thought that the father just didn't care, so he didn't care. But now he's coming home and he's realizing that's not who his dad is at all. His life has changed. Now we have the older son to deal with because the story is really not about either one of the sons. It's always about the loving father and who he actually is. And, and the, the older son is outside. Notice he's outside the father's household. He's working in the fields. The father... The father comes to his son and entreats him. Come on in, son. Come, in, come on into the party. Come and celebrate. Come and celebrate with us, son. And he refuses. And he, and he says, he says, you know, and I'm paraphrasing because I'm not reading anything here, but he, he, says, he says, you know, father, I, I've, I've, I've um, all these years I've served you. And that word served is the word slaved. You need to look it up. This is his perception of his dad. Remember, you're a reflection of your perception of God. This is why the most important thing about you is the way that you see him. He says, he says Dad, I, I, Father, I've served you all these years, and you, you never gave me a young goat. Now, young goats, you know, there's not, there's, there's not like sheep here or like a, like a cow here. This is, this, there's not much meat to, to goats. So, Dad, you're a slave driver and you're cheap, and when this son of yours comes home, you kill the fatty calf for him, so you're also like incredibly unfair. This is his view of God. I think for many people, that's their view of God as well. Well, you have to work really, really hard because God's a slave driver, and you have to work really, really hard to earn God's approval and his love. Meanwhile, I mean, he already had it. That's the way a lot of people see God. Well, he's a slave driver. He's hard to please. And he doesn't give good gifts. 
And he's really, really unfair. <laughs> and so you got people in the church who strive and perform and work in order to be loved, not recognizing that they already had it. I mean, that's what he says. He's, the father blows out of the water once again. Now the older son's idea of who the father is. Son, you're always with me. And everything that's mine is yours. Basically, you could have had a party every night if you wanted to. I got a lot of calves. I own, I own the, uh, 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 the cattle on a thousand hills, right? I mean, he could have had a party every night if he wanted to. When the father split the inheritance, he gave half to the younger son and half to the older son. He had it all, but meanwhile, meanwhile he's, work, he's found working for it. He never takes hold of what the father really wanted to give him. Because true inheritance is really enjoy, enjoyed and um, utilized within the context of sonship. Both sons have the same problem. They don't know who the father is. And when you don't know who the father is, it's when wrong concepts of God are taught, it's either going to produce rebels or the religious, and neither are good. But it's amazing that when the father is revealed, he can bring both to the table. Now in this story, only the younger son comes to the table, the older son doesn't, but Speaking from experience as an older son, it's one of the religious, judgmental, better-than-you type of people who grew up in church. I know that he brings older sons to the table as well. That's his desire, to bring both. But you see, the father, the father was hidden from sight. He was hidden from view. And when the Father is, isn't seen clearly, it disrupts and distorts our own lives. You know, it's amazing that for a people group who their entire way of living, speaking of the Jews, their entire, their entire um, way of living, Israel's entire way of living based around the Torah, based around the, 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 the prophets and and they they had this belief system in Yahweh. They had this understanding of, I mean, their political system, their educational system was all based around their belief in God and the Torah. And when Jesus shows up, they completely miss him. The word puts on flesh, dwells among them, and they completely miss his birth. They, end, you know, they, they persecuted him. Eventually, they end up crucifying him. How does a people group who live their, their, their entire way of living is based off their belief system in Yahweh, how do they completely miss him when he arrives? Jesus showed up to a world of people who had no understanding of who the Father truly was. Which is why Jesus came to reveal the Father. See the, and we'll get into more of this because, and it's kind of hard for me to explain right here on the first podcast that we're doing. But the the law based system, the the law of Moses, it blinded people from seeing who God the Father truly is. When you look at the Old Testament, and like I said, we'll get into this more. But when you look at the Old Testament, 
you find that uh, you know a lot of people think they they see a monster god in the in the old testament you when you look at the new testament all of a sudden you see this loving father so when you come to luke 15 it's like whoa who's this guy he looks amazing i love him but he doesn't look consistent with uh, with when you look at leviticus or numbers which probably has produced more atheists than any other book of, in, books in the world um when they're not read in the right context because god always works in accordance with his covenants and so you find that the covenant that God initially wanted to give to the people in Israel uh, with Moses, the people rejected. God wanted them all to be a kingdom of priests. They all should have had direct access to God, but they said, no, 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 we, we don't want that. No, we'll, we'll talk to Moses. So they rejected the covenant that God wanted to give them initially, which would have been a grant covenant, and God loves grant covenants, which is a higher power bestowing a gift upon a lesser power. He says, no, 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 we want to be like all the other nations, and you know, you give us the do's and don'ts, and we'll speak through Moses and have a mediator, just like all the other nations did. And so God just gave them what they wanted. So the old, the old covenant, the law of Moses, is not a reflection of God. It's a reflection of the people. So when you read 2 Corinthians 3, 15 through 16, it says, yes, this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. The law, the, the, the law of Moses, it blinds people from seeing who God truly is. And this is what these people, the Israelites, had been living with all these years. They've been living and believing the, the, the law of Moses, which really wasn't a reflection of who God is. And so when he shows up, they completely miss him, which is why the mission of Jesus was to reveal the Father. Which is why he's building his church on the revelation of who Jesus is. Because Jesus rightly represents who the Father is. Colossians 1.15, it says that Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God. Hebrews 1.3, it says that he's, the, he's the, the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of God's nature. John 1.17-18, it says, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. It's like you get grace. A lot of people, they, they present the scripture verse this way. It's like, well, there's grace, but there's also truth. And you better not do this wrong. You better not do that wrong. That's not what the context of truth is. The context of truth is always in relation to who God is. That's why it's the truth of who God is that sets people free. Grace, and this is for the law was given through Moses. This is John 1, 17 through 18. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Then it says, no one has ever seen God. And there's a semicolon. And it says, the only God, speaking of Jesus, who's at the Father's side, he, Jesus, has made him, the Father, known. This is what he came to do. John 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, I'm the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father, or basically no one sees the Father except through me. Philip's like, show us the Father and it'll be enough for us. And he's like, have I been with you this long, Philip, and you still don't know who I am? I'm in the Father, and the Father is in me. This is what Jesus came to do. He came to make the Father known. And the attack from the enemy, right from the beginning, right from the Garden of Eden, what's he doing? Did God really say you can't eat from any tree of the garden? And Eve's like, no, he didn't say that. We, of course we can eat from the trees of the garden. We just can't eat from the tree of the knowledge of, of good and evil. Right? And he's like, because if we eat of it, we'll, we'll die. He's like, oh, no, you won't die. God just knows if you eat of it, you'll be like him, knowing both good and evil. So basically, the way that Satan is portraying God is that he's a liar and he's holding out on you. Right from the beginning, 
The attack that we see from the enemy has always been to distort the image and the identity of who God is to his people. I mean, even when Jesus is in the wilderness and he's fasting for 40 days, where was the attack? The attack always came against identity. Oh, if you really are the son of God, oh, if you really are the son of God. You know, that's, that's what he attacks. He always tries to attack the identity of who God is. That's why we, he says we have, we have um, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they have, they, have power to dest- they have power to destroy strongholds and arguments that uh, exalt itself against the knowledge of who God is. The enemy's plan of attack I mean, he attacks in three primary ways. He he brings attack in through condemnation, and and uh, and temptation. Those are two. You know, but you always you know when you're being condemned, you can feel it, and you know when you're being tempted. That's easy. But the the third one, the major one, is deception. There's condemnation, temptation, deception. The nature of deception is you don't know where, when you're being deceived. And and he brings deception through. Blinding you from seeing who God the Father truly, truly is. This is where the attack has always been. The attack has always been to blind people from seeing the Father. You know, which is, you know, when you, when you read, it's, it's 2 Corinthians. I'm going to just quickly turn there. Um, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4. And he goes, and this is verse four. He says, in their case, the God of this world, it's little g, little g God, speaking of Satan. In their, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. This is what the enemy comes to do. He comes to blind the minds of people to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. And Christ is, this is who is the image of God. And then going on to verse 6, it says, For God who set light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Jesus rightly represents who the Father is. John 10.10 says, The thief only comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Jesus came that you would have life and that you'd have it abundantly. And that life is found in knowing Jesus. It's the very best thing. Paul writes, I count everything else as loss. The, what Jesus is building his church upon is he's building his church upon the revelation of who Jesus is. Why? Because Jesus reveals the Father. And when the Father is revealed, well, that makes all the difference to anybody. 2 Corinthians 3, 18. And we all, with an unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into that same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. It's like when you see him for who he is, that's what brings transformation. It's, it's unbelievable. 1 John 3, 1 through 3. It says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him, beloved. We are God's children now. And it says, and what we will be 
has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. He says, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. That's why the most important thing about you is the way that you see God. Who is he to you? It is the framework that will determine your reality, the way you live and move and have your being in this world. So whether you believe in a God or whether you don't believe in God, that is that's basically determining your reality. Knowing Jesus is the very best thing. And it's on the revelation of who he is that Jesus is building his church. This is the whole emphasis of this ministry. Because when you were blinded from seeing who God truly is, it brings bondage. It brings corruption. It brings sin. It, it keeps us from who we are and what we're called to do. And you know, it's, it's interesting. When Peter actually says to Jesus, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God, in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus turns to Simon, and he says, and you are Peter. And then he goes on, he says, and I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. See, when we come to actually know who Jesus is, and we have that revelation for ourselves, in discovering Jesus, we actually discover who we are. And what we're called to do. And so by getting a revelation of Jesus, you actually get a revelation of your own identity and your own purpose, which I think is lacking in this world today. People want to know, who are they? And what's their purpose in life? That's found in knowing Jesus. It's the very best thing. And so this is the whole emphasis of this, this ministry. And like I said, I don't by any means, shape, or form, have all the answers. This is this is a journey. But there are some things that I found, and these are just going to be some of my discoveries that I'm going to be sharing, and I I hope you enjoy it. So let's uh, let's get off the rebel road and the religious road, and let's come to the table with Jesus and just discover who this loving Father truly is. And I hope you'll uh, be taking this journey with me. Thanks, everyone, and uh, until next week. Talk to you soon. Over and out.